0: Joe Walsh begs for Twitter to let Trump back on, so he actually has a personality to use and try to garner votes once again. President Trump's impeachment trial starts today, so we'll talk a bit about some of the lead-up that's coming back into this as well. Midwest states lift their mask mandates and other such fun stuff, including places like Kansas and Missouri right on the eve where they could make a whole bunch of money off the Super Bowl, so we'll talk just a bit about that. And a shattered glass installation of Kamala Harris shows up in Washington, D.C., and guys, it's a cult. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning everybody. Welcome to Contemporary. How was your weekend? My name is Jay Edgar. We have got a bunch of stuff to get to today. It's going to be a wild day. Definitely going to be a it's going to be a weird one. I'm that's all that I have to say about that one. We're getting to the point right now where they're looking at the fact that it's Democrats in office, it's Democrats in the House, it's Democrats in the Senate controlling everything here. So we're not going to get these big epic weeks long stories that we were used to getting under the Trump era. I mean, it was like a reality show where you had the one story arc and it just took the entire episode and that's what you did for the entire week. We're not going to be seeing a lot of that anymore just because they don't want to do a lot of reporting on anything. But we've got a big smattering of news here. We've got a bunch of stuff to talk about and a bunch of stuff to go over here. But before we do any of that, head on over to freedomscoop.com. freedomscoop.com once we're back up and running, is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs. Where we are set to carry great shows such as the Generational Gap, the Daily Ignoramus, the Breakdown with Birkenhoff, the excuse me, the R-rated Conservative, and the Freckles and Brit Show. Come on over there, go check out some of my friends while you're in the meantime. While we're in the interim, I hope you're subscribed to all the channels that we uh, run on this show. Uh, Run on the website, Rattler. So go on over there. Pick up some of our swag and help us support great creators. It really does help out. And give that bookmark up there so you guys know. Once we're ready to go, you can always go back there and check all of our back episodes, all of our friends' back episodes, and all the other programs that we carry along here. Plus, written articles to come. A podcatcher to come, possibly someday down the road here, and a lot of good stuff coming forward and looking forward off of this here. I'm fairly excited for what this is going to turn out to be, so head on over there and give us that bookmark so you're ready to go. Alright, looking on to the Dow Jones, which, we need to go this direction, which looks like it had a pretty significant spike at the beginning of Friday, then a pretty significant drop at the beginning of Friday. Then an up, and then a down, and it just kind of bounced and bounced. It was like a bouncy ball all day. It went up, it went down, it went up, and it bounced and it bounced, and it just kind of steadied off as it rolled down the floor there. Back to a 31-148-24, which they're calling a record, which it probably is at this point. But, you know, once again, there you go. You're not going to see some of the peaks, and a lot of the speculators are warning that this is going to come crashing down somewhere in the near future here. So we'll talk a bit about what's going on with that. Let's look at the Bitcoin, which had a pretty significant day over on Friday. Bitcoin is now back up over the 40,000 mark. It is at 44,055.00 US dollars. Which is is that a 7,000 point jump? $7,000 jump over the weekend because wasn't it at 37 when last we checked into this over on Friday? So that's uh that's not insignificant at all. Definitely excited to look back and see what we've got going on there. And everybody should always have Bitcoin. Remember, if you can't mold it or hold it, you should already be holding it. Isn't that how that goes? All right, let's look over to IBD and see what they've got to say for this. Dow Jones Futures. Congress backtracks Biden stimulus as Tesla buys Bitcoin. Market rally warning signs from Ed Carson. Dow Jones rose modestly Monday morning. Along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures, the House gave final approval on Friday night to a budget resolution that paves the way for President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. Yep, we're hitting $30 trillion Right there. Coronavirus vaccinations have picked up the pace, crossing another milestone as new COVID cases keep falling. Interesting how that works. Tesla stock rose on big Bitcoin purchase, even as the Chinese government looks into various quality claims. Apple stock, Walt Disney, J.P. Morgan Chase, Nike, and Caterpillar are five Dow Jones giants in or near buy points. Tesla has bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. The EV maker disclosed in an SEC filing. Tesla said that uh, may buy more cryptocurrencies and said it plans to start accepting Bitcoin for payment soon. The Bitcoin price jumped above 40000 on the news as rebounded towards record highs over the past week. CEO Elon Musk signaled his support for Bitcoin along with a slew of tweets touting the cryptocurrency Dogecoin. China's market regulator and four government agencies met with Tesla regarding growing customer complaints about quality ranging from battery fires, sudden acceleration, and over-the-air update failures. They warned Tesla to operate within the law. Earlier, the China Passenger Car Association said made-in-China Tesla sales came in at 15,484 in January. This apparently includes the Tesla Model 3 and Model Y vehicles. That's down from November and December, though that could reflect some Model 3 production being shipped to Europe. Neo, X-Bang Motors, Li Auto, and BYD have already released January production and sales figures. Overall, China electric vehicle production was 154,000 in January, up 477% versus a year earlier, CPCA said. Retail sales leapt 299% to 130,000. Tesla stock rose slightly on the Bitcoin news. NEO edged higher early Monday, while Xpeng and Li Auto were little changed. On Sunday, China released official rules to stop monopolistic behavior among internet firms and platforms. The rules will limit. The sharing of consumer data, shares, and forging alliances or subsidizing services to crush smaller rivals. <clears throat> Draft guidelines were unveiled last November as regulators began a crackdown, especially on Alibaba. Alibaba stock is recovering from that crackdown, while others such as Pinduoduo Duo, have risen sharply. stock and JD.com fell a fraction before Monday's open. PDD stock edged higher. Well, yes, of course. The internet firms and the private industries can't band together to crush their smaller rivals. That's the government's job over in China, and, well, pretty much that's the government's job over here, too. In a related note, Bishop said market regulators have determined it violated competition rules and have levied 3 million yuan fine. VIPs stock is a little changed in the pre-market. The stock market rally is looking strong, buoyed by generally strong earnings and Biden stimulus progress. The index uh, indices rather are at record highs with several new breakouts. Growth stock overall had a powerful week with software, IPOs and cyclicals, China names, and more big winners. Several chip stocks ran into trouble, but the sector did rise. Uh, The House voted Friday night to provide a formal final approval to a budget resolution, Fast Tracks, the $1.9 trillion Biden stimulus proposal. The 219-209 party line House vote came after the Senate approved the resolution early Friday with Vice President Kamala Harris, casting the tie-breaking vote. You're going to see a lot of that over the next two years. The House had already approved the budget resolution on Wednesday, but had to okay the Senate's largely symbolic changes. The budget resolution means a Biden stimulus can pass with a bare majority instead of needing 60 Senate votes to avoid a filibuster. So, there it is. We just spent $1.9 trillion more trillion Are you ready for that? And people are still pissed off at Biden for that, by the way. On the futures. Dow Jones rose 0.4% versus fair value. S&P advanced 0.3% and NASDAQ climbed to 0.35%. So, that's what we're seeing coming out of the markets, according to IBD. Let's just take a look back and see what CNBC had to say on that. Continue without supporting. U.S. stock futures rise following Wall Street's best week since November. From Yoon Lee and Pippa Stevens. U.S. stock index futures rose early Monday as the major averages looked to build upon gains following the best week since November amid optimism towards more COVID stimulus. Futures contracts tied at the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 120 points. S&P also added 0.4%. NASDAQ gained 0.3%. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen urged Congress on Sunday to pass President Joe Biden's stimulus plan, saying if it does, the U.S. could return to full employment by 2022. Okay. Yeah. Let's just keep shipping more and more jobs overseas, shutting down projects that were putting people to work and giving them valuable experience that they could take to other places, and say that the economy could return to full employment by 2022. I I, I doubt that. I'm sorry. There's absolutely no reason we should suffer through a long, slow recovery, Yellen said during an interview on CNN's State of the Union. I would expect that if this package is passed, we could get back to full employment by next year. The Senate and House each passed a budget resolution on Friday, starting the reconciliation process that would allow Biden's $1.9 trillion rescue package to get through the Democratic-held Senate with a simple majority. Yeah, we know all this one already. Uh, Wall Street's coming off a solid week as the market shook off fears of speculative trading frenzy. Yep, that story's dead. The S&P 500 closed at a record high on Friday and gained 4.2% last week. The Dow and the NASDAQ rose 3.6% and 5.4% respectively. In the prior week, the Russell 2000, meanwhile, is on its longest daily winning streak since May and gained 7.7% last week for its best weekly performance since June. So, here we go. We're looking back at this and it's, it's the Biden economy. And then at some point here, once the bottom drops out, it'll be the Trump economy again. But, hey... We'll see what happens off of this. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe they won't regulate us and ship jobs overseas into oblivion for us. Maybe somebody who's never seen the code
1: of a computer will come up and say, Learn to code, man. All right. Uh, I'll I'll teach you how to to code. Because I'm going to save
0: everything. Because my name is Joe Biden. Well, let's get into the news here. Starting with... Not the biggest story of the weekend, of course. This almost went completely unnoticed, but this sparked a rant from me in a group chat that I'm in over on Twitter because, you know what, this is the kind of shit that we said was going to come, and sure enough, here it is. I didn't think it was going to come this quickly, but we all said this was going to come. I thought for sure it was going to wait until after the impeachment trial, but the tweet comes out from Joe Walsh. Okay, here's my probably very unpopular opinion. Twitter should end his ban and let him tweet again. Replying to Virginia Heffernan, who says Trump absence from Twitter, has made political exchanges much richer and more possible, like when kudzu and other predator plant is cut back and there can be biodiversity again. And of course, now Virginia Heffernan is coming up and saying, Oh, well, now we can go back and talk about progressivism. Now that we're getting rid of all these evil people that are against progressivism and their leader, we got rid of their leader, so now we can just go back and ban them, and there's Walsh right there. No, we should just end the ban and let Trump come back on again. Betty CC comes, go to a social media. It begins with a G. You know, Nazi site. It's a, Is he even on Gab? I don't even know. I've never, I I never. I have a Gab. I don't even know what my username is right now. But I do have a gab. It is linked in the description below. I've been on there a couple times. Is is the Donald on gab? I have no idea. But with Walsh, this is... You knew this was going to happen. Now, there are a lot of people that are out there. And they made their entire livings over the last four years on Trump hatred. That's their entire personalities. And as much TDS as Jen the Libertarian has had over the last, I would say, two years, because when I first met her the first time when she was on Ed's World, back on episode six, and remember we ended on episode 76, and then we've also had 29 episodes of The Red Net Show. So this was almost 100 weeks ago when I met Jen the Libertarian. But back at the beginning, when I met Jen the Libertarian, she was actually somewhat normal. Just, I hate all politicians, all of them equally, and nobody's any better than the others. But, you know, the populism is doing good things economically. But she did go full TDS. But she did point out one very, very, very right-on-the-nose prediction. And that was the fact that people like Walsh were going to come out very soon after the presidency. I, didn't, I don't think she anticipated the Twitter ban at some point, but... After the presidency, these people were were going to have nothing. I mean, even if he'd have stayed on Twitter, it would have been, oh, well, they're sitting back here focusing on the tweets of somebody who can't do a goddamn thing anyway. He just sits there and tweets like a sad old man from Mar-a-Lago. And then the Twitter ban came up, and, I mean, it's silent at this point. I barely go on Twitter anymore just because there is, I mean, I go back and I look at the trending, and i use that to go find news tips but other than that i barely interact with anything it's boring there's nothing really going on there and i'm at a you know i'm at a character limit here and i can get on the microphone and sit back and talk for an hour you guys listen to me for an hour every day whether it be by the audio platform or by the youtube or dlive or twitch or trovo or whichever you decide to be on you guys sit back and listen to my program every single day which i very much appreciate But what what do I do on Twitter? I go back and argue with some red rose about something that he's never going to move on. Something he doesn't understand he's never going to move on, whether it be abortion or economics. It's usually economics because abortion is, you know, that's not my bag. But, you know, you go back, you sit with, argue with one of these people and, you know, that's the end of it. But as far as what Walsh says here, yes, he's looking back at this. He's looking at the fact that now there's a vacuum. Trump's not in office anymore. Nobody gives a fuck about the riots anymore. I'm telling you right now, if it wasn't for the impeachment that's coming up, nobody would even remember that the D.C. riot happened. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is trying desperately to get that back up into the news so that she can talk about it more so people remember, remember it, but that's once again trying to keep Trump in the news. They're doing everything they can because, well, with Walsh especially, Walsh was lauded as a hero by a lot of these people because he went up, he tried to primary the evil orange man. He was being lauded as the greatest American in the world because he wanted to go up and be the Republican president nominee and try to get that evil orange man back out. And Nobody knew who the guy was outside of the Illinois west suburbs. Nobody knows who this dude is. Had he not run for president, people would just be, can be convinced. That Joe Walsh is just the guitarist for the Eagles. But he needs Trump because at some point, it's, it's, people are going to be reminded of the fact that he is another Tradcon, Neocon douchebag who wants to go out and bomb a bunch of brown children over in the Middle East and start a war and keep bombing and keeping our troops over there forever. And they're going to come for him too. He doesn't have that lightning rod anymore to come and drag the, uh, drag all the attention away from him and his traditionalism. So with that, I mean it's, it's the same thing. CNN. What are they reporting on now? Nothing. You don't. I see one CNN up the top here. Bernie Sanders says there's a room full of lawyers is working to make the case for the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. But they've got nothing here. MSNBC, they can't go back and report on the government right now because there's a bunch of stupid shit happening there. And they don't want to come out and talk about it. They want to talk about Trump. So, with that, you showed your cards, you showed your hands. And once again, they're trying to do this with with other stuff too, like the security clearance. Oh, well, Joe Biden says that Trump can't have security clearance. I don't think he cares, dude. I don't. Because he's down in Mar-a-Lago, playing golf, sleeping in, banging his supermodel wife, and that's the end of it. Oh, well, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And once again, the media is coming out here and pretty much realizing that nobody gives a fuck about Marjorie Taylor Greene outside of Rome, Georgia. They, they just don't. So, of course, they need the big lightning rod back up there, so people can come out and say, He's evil! He's evil! Get him out here! Look at what he tweeted! Oh my god, look what he tweeted! He might run for president again, he might not! We don't know! What's going on? And Walsh can come back and have a personality again. Alright. From time. This was an interesting one. This came up into the Discord here. Uh, Sticks made a special fourth video just on the fact that this popped up. And I wanted to read a little bit of uh, this to you guys. I have not actually read the article. I've heard a couple people talking about this, but I've not actually read this yet. Just seeing all of the horrible pejoratives that were written about it in the Discord server and various other places for this. So I want to talk just a bit about what's here. So let's read from Time.com. The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign that Saved the 2020 Election. From Molly Ball A weird thing happened right after the November 3rd election. Nothing. The nation was braced for chaos. Liberal groups had vowed to take to the streets, planning hundreds of protests across the country. Right-wing militias were girding for battle. In a poll before Election Day, 75% of Americans voiced concern about violence. Instead, an eerie quiet descended. As President Trump refused to concede, the response was not mass action, but crickets. When media organizations called the race for Joe Biden on November 7th, jubilation broke out instead as people thronged cities across the U.S. to celebrate the democratic process that resulted in the Trump's ouster. And of course, violated all sorts of social distancing rules and poured champagne into each other's mouths and mask occasionally, but not always. A second odd thing happened amid Trump's attempts to reverse the result. Corporate America turned on him. No, they turned on him a long, long time ago. Hundreds of major business leaders, many of whom had backed Trump's candidacy, and supported his policies, called on him to concede. To the president, something fell amiss. It was all very, very strange, Trump said on December 2nd. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint the winner, even while many key states were still being counted. In a way, Trump was right. And this is where it gets weird. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between le- uh, left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO, published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as a sort of implicit bargain inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive racial justice protests in which the forces of labor came together while the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. The handshake between business and labor was just one component of a vast cross-partisan campaign to protect the election. To protect the election an extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to winning the vote, but to ensuring it would be free and fair, credible, and uncorrupted. For more than a year, a loosely organized coalition of operatives scrambled to shore up America's institutions as they came under simultaneous attack from a remorseless pandemic and an autocratically inclined president. Though much of this activity took place on the left, it was separate from the Biden campaign. <clears throat> oh, bullshit! Bullshit! And crossed ideological lines with crucial contributions by nonpartisan and conservative actors. The scenario, the shadow campaigners were desperate to stop, was not a Trump victory. It was an election so calamitous that no result could be discerned at all, a failure of the central act of democratic self governance that has been a hallmark of America since its founding. Their work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change voting systems. There it is, right there. And helped secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. They fended off voter suppression lawsuits. Recruited armies of poll workers and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. They successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against disinformation and used data-driven strategies to fight viral smears. They executed a national public awareness campaign that helped Americans understand how the vote count would unfold over days or weeks, preventing Trump's conspiracy theories and false claims of victory from getting more traction. After Election Day, they monitored every pressure point to ensure that Trump could not overturn the result. In spite of the fact that we all had questions about this, and now people are coming out and doing audits, by the way. The untold story of the election is thousands of people of both parties who accomplished the triumph of American democracy at its very foundation, said Norm Eisen, a prominent lawyer and former Obama administration official who recruited Republicans and Democrats to the board of the Voter Protection uh, Program. I can't believe it. The Time, the Time.com, Time magazine has come out officially and said that, yes, we stole the election. Except nothing bad happened. Everything was above board. Wink, wink, honk, honk. They came out and they've admitted it at this point. Your opinion, what you want for this country does not matter. Now, coming to this, and I'm going to press on, Elaine on this later on in the program and talk to her about the fact that uh, this could possibly mean more danger for a third party to come out because they've got to have that preordained installed candidate come in and nobody from the outside, which would include a lot of third partiers, can come out and be allowed to have the reins of power. And where does this end here? They got away with it on the presidency. What happens next? Do we Do we have local races now? Do we have sheriff's races, governors, aldermen, the dog catcher. At what point? At, w- at what point does this extend to? This, this isn't democracy either. A lot of people come on and say, well, it's just democracy at work here. No. With what was admitted from the time... For an election where everything was completely above board and nothing bad happened, wink-wink Hong Kong. But what the time has admitted in this article is the fact that, no, it's not a democracy anymore. It is a corporatocracy. It's fascism. But, of course, fascism, that's got to be a right-wing thing. Because Trump is a fascist. For Trump and his allies were running their own campaign to spoil the election. The president spent months insisting that mail-in ballots were a democratic plot and the election would be rigged. You know, like everyone said during 2018 about the Dominion voting systems, his henchmen at the state level sought to block their use, while his lawyers brought dozens of spurious suits to make it more difficult to vote in intensification of the GOP's legacy of suppressive tactics. Before the election, Trump plotted to block a legitimate vote count and spent the months following November 3rd trying to steal the election he lost with lawsuits and conspiracy theories, pressure on state and local officials, and finally summoning his army of supporters to the January 6th rally that ended in deadly violence at the Capitol. The democracy campaigners watched with alarm every week. We felt like we were in a struggle to pro- try to pull off this election without the country going through a real dangerous moment of unraveling, says former GOP representative Zach Wamp, a Trump supporter who helped coordinate the Bipartisan Election Protection Council. We can look back and say this thing went pretty well, but it was not all clear in September and October that that was going to be the case. And yeah, at this point, we're sitting, this isn't a democracy anymore. Corporations install the people that they want. And after seeing what came out of this, what came out of the last four years, where small businesses were flourishing, people could go to work for various places, wages were rising because people had so many options to go to work. And business leaders knew that if they wanted the workers, they had to pay. Because they weren't getting the workers any other way. Because somebody else down the road was going to pay him more. The Trump presidency and the great economy that we have is the corporatocracy's worst nightmare. It's not that they hated Trump. They hate you. The corporations and the government that takes the donations from the corporations. They hate you. And this is Time Magazine coming out and taking a victory lap saying, We did it! We did it! No more outsiders! And it's absolutely fucking disgusting, too. But here we are. Here we sit. And now we come back and try to figure out what it is that we do next. Because you know that they're going to do it again and again. And I love how they have the fucking Buffalo dude up there, too, by the way. So that's the Time article, and we are going. I actually have that in the topic for tonight here, so we're going to go a lot more in-depth into this as we talk more about this later on. Let's keep going, though. From the New York Post. GOP polls want Pelosi to pay $5,000 for ignoring her own metal detector rules in the Capitol. From Laura Italiano. Dude, you can't make her pay $5,000, though, because that's like... Her week's allowance of chocolate ice cream. Hours after the Post revealed that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi docked $5,000 uh, each from the pay of two GOP congressmen for flouting her new metal detectors, a group of Republican politicians demanded that she pay the same fine for the same offense. GOP members of the Committee on House Administration made the tit-for-tat demand Friday night, claiming Pelosi had been seen on Thursday entering the House chamber without going through the metal detectors she herself had ordered installed uh, after the January 6th Capitol riot. Yesterday, at approximately 9.59 a.m., multiple members observed the Speaker of the House entering the House chamber without completing security screening, the members wrote to the House Acting Surgeon-at-Arms. We are demanding she face the same fines as every other member of Congress. The GOP members of the committee tweeted Friday night, along with a copy of the letter. Earlier Friday, the Post reported that Representatives Louis Gomert and Andrew Clyde were the first House members hit with a dramatic fine, which is taken directly from their $174,000 salaries. Gomert said he will appeal, and absolutely he should. 100% he should. He said that he usually complies with the metal detectors, but didn't on a single occasion after stepping out to use the can. Unlike in the movie The Godfather, there are no toilets with tanks, where one could hide a gun. So my reentry onto the house floor should have been a non-issue, Gohmert said in a statement. Right, of course, but it's rules for thee, but not for me, because I'm Anthony Pelosi. I'm from California. I would never have a gun because I'm Californian and guns are scary. Except for my private security, because they need to have them to protect me. Because somebody with buffalo horns might take a shot at me. Watch out, you're going to see more of this shit here. From the Daily Wire, GOP Rep says house metal detectors, unconstitutional. I'm going to take them to court. From Joseph Curl. Representative Andrew Clyde, who was hit with a $5,000 fine for allegedly bypassing metal detectors on his way to the House floor, plans to fight back, saying metal detectors are unconstitutional. There is a constitutional issue, Clyde said on Ingram's Fox News show. Those metal detectors are there to detain us, or to, and that's a violation of Article 1, Section 6 of the Constitution. We're going to the House floor to vote, and we represent 700,000 people in our districts. And the Constitution says that we cannot be impeded when we go to the floor to vote, he said. Congressman, are you going to pay the $5,000? Are you going to pay the $5,000? Ingram asked. I'm going to fight it. I'm going to appeal it. And then I'm going to take them to court because this is unconstitutional. We're all set up to do that. And, but I have to have standing, Laura, he said. But are you going to do it again? Because it gets ten thousand dollars next time. Because it's like running up the tab here. Are you going to go? Are you going to go through the metal detectors next time? Ingram asked. I think I've already done it at least a couple times. That fine was uh, for a couple days ago. I've had a couple times since then. I think so. I'm probably going uh, up to twenty-five thousand by now. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Last week, reportedly docked $5,000 each from Clyde and Representative Louis Gohmert of Texas. In a statement Friday, Gohmert addressed the accusations that he broke the House rule regarding metal detectors, saying, This should come as no surprise, but Democrats are making up the rules as they go. Which, yeah, it is. And, I mean, if it's unconstitutional, I would love to see that. Not whether or not it is constitutional, but to actually get a hard rule on something like this because they are locking down the Capitol more and more. I mean, we've seen the pictures, the armed forces, the wall around the uh, Capitol complex, the wall around the White House, with uh, still more military coming in there. Now, I thought this was just for inauguration security, but they're still there. It's, I mean, Inauguration Day was January 20th. It's February 8th. They're still there. There's still a military presence in Washington, D.C., which we'll talk just a bit about later because I've got some video to go along with that as well, but they are still there. So I don't trust anything that the government's doing at this point, but good on him. I hope he takes it to court, and I hope he fucking wins. All right, let's keep going. Another one from CNBC here. Biden says $15 an hour minimum wage, won't survive COVID relief talks, promises to push for a pay hike later. You know, kind of like your checks, or they're gonna come later. Everything's gonna come later, you know. All this stuff was supposed to happen on January 21st. You were gonna have your check in the mail by January 21st, everything was gonna be good, it was gonna be golden. Day one, you're going to get your check, you're going to have your $15 an hour minimum wage, and the progressive agenda is going to be pushed into place, and all those evil corporatists are going to be gone. And, you know, here we are. From Maggie Fitzgerald, President Biden said it's unlikely that a $15 an hour federal minimum wage provision makes it into the next COVID-19 relief package, hitting the pause on a key campaign promise as Democrats in Congress press ahead to pass $1.9 trillion in stimulus without Republican support. Biden said he would push for a standalone bill to raise the minimum wage. I put it in, okay, but I don't think it's going to survive. Biden told CBS's Nora O'Donnell in an interview, a clip of which was posted on Friday. My guess is it will not be in the stimulus bill. Democrats in Congress have moved to pass the $1.9 trillion stimulus package without Republican support in the Senate using a parliamentary procedure known as reconciliation. House Speaker Pelosi said Friday that the chamber aims to pass the fiscal relief package within two weeks. Under the rules of reconciliation, only measures that have an impact on the budget can be passed. Biden indicated that in the interview that those rules likely won't allow the inclusion of a minimum wage provision in the final bill. However, Senator Bernie Sanders, chairman of the Budget Committee, I still laugh every time I hear that together, said he is still working to include the minimum wage hike in the stimulus package. Sanders, socialist Vermont, said a wage hike would have a budget implication.
1: We have a room full of lawyers working as hard as we can. To make the case to the parliamentarian that in fact raising the minimum wage will have significant budget implications. And that more people can buy more pudding cups and then we can make more pudding cups because I, I like I like the vanilla in, in the winter. It it makes me feel all warm and buzzy inside and it's it's very cold up, up in Vermont, okay?
0: And we will talk about that in just a moment here. So, yeah. And I didn't think that that would be something that could go either. I thought that would, well, there's no such thing as a standalone bill in Congress anymore. When the $15 an hour minimum wage comes up, it's probably going to be when Republicans introduce something that they really, really want to say, hey, let's, let's throw this pork in here too, because, you know, hey, we'll give you this thing that you really, really want, but you have to do what we want. So we'll see what's happening from that. I have got one here from NPR. Senate says no to $15 an hour minimum wage for now. But Democrats vow to push on. This is from Andrea Sue, Sam Gringless, and Audie Cornish. It's an eight-minute listen, but we're not going to go eight minutes into this. But let's see what they have to say here. And remember, NPR needs your money. Because the taxpayer dime doesn't do enough for them. Make sure that you ensure that NPR can come on and keep whispering communism like this into the ears of your children and your neighbors so that we can all move on to a socialist utopia where there's only one party, the party. That's capital T, capital P. But let's see what NPR has to say. President Biden's push for the $15 an hour minimum wage appears to be on hold for now as a part of a marathon session of voting on amendments to Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package. The Senate, late on Thursday, approved by voice of a vote, a measure prohibiting an increase of the federal minimum wage during the global pandemic. <clears throat> a $15 an hour minimum federal minimum wage would be devastating for our hardest-hit small businesses at a time when they can least afford it, said Senator Joni Ernst, a Republican from Iowa, who brought up the amendment. Senator Bernie Sanders vowed to push forward on a phased increase, saying that he never intended to increase the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour during the pandemic. Yeah, bullshit. Bullshit. The federal minimum wage has been $7.25 since 2009, but dozens of states and cities have a higher minimum wage. Earlier on Thursday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said that whatever happened with the stimulus package, Democrats would not abandon the cause. It's not the last bill we'll pass, she said. Even before Thursday night's vote, there were signs of trouble for Biden's $15 an hour minimum wage campaign promise. Among them, Joe Manchin has said he would not support an increase to $15 an hour, but back something responsible and reasonable. Yeah, like, if you guys want to do, like, nine, I'm still not okay with it, but I think that'd be a little bit more reasonable than just going back up and straight up doubling it. Still, Biden's effort to make a good on his promise has buoyed proponents, unsettled opponents, and stepped up the debate over who wins and who loses when salaries rise. As economics professor David Newark our Newmark rather of the University of California Irvine notes in a newspaper economists hold a wide range of differing opinions on that debate even when looking at the same set of studies. one long-standing argument against raising the minimum wage is that it would force employers to cut jobs Newmark found most studies agree that higher minimum wages bring job losses with stronger evidence for teens young adults and less educated workers. a 2019 study from the Congressional Budget Office found that raising the federal minimum wage to 15, by 2025 would boost earnings for at least 17 million people, but could lead to 1.3 million job losses. Yeah, that sounds like the beginning of a uh, Democrat administration. 1.3 million job losses, but we're going to blame the last guy for that. But others say the potential benefits, including reducing overall poverty, have been overlooked. No, you just raise the poverty line is all you do. I found that somewhat similar impact than to the CBO did an even more promising impact of raising wages, says Aran Dragic-Dube, an economics professor at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, at least to prior to the pandemic. We saw employers continuing to hire and continuing to do well, and wages continuing to rise, including in low-wage sectors like restaurants, he said. So I'm going to cut this off at uh, this point here, but let's, let's talk just a bit about this because... We look at, and this has been a perennial argument among Democrats, even under the good economy before the pandemic wrecked and ravaged all this. This has been a perennial argument. Every year they come back and say, well, we need more. We need more. We, I mean, ever since 2009, they've been saying we need $15 an hour. Ever since the last minimum wage hike came in, they've been saying that they want it 15 now, which, I mean, 15 as of right now, is that's a good wage. That is. I'm not going to lie about it, and I'm not going to tell you any bullshit about that. That's a good wage right now for somebody my age who is just coming into the market. A lot of jobs are starting that. The problem, and what I'm questioning about this, is how many people actually work for the minimum wage? Like, it was never meant to support a family. For the most part, it was meant to keep newly freed slaves from undercutting the job market. That's not even an issue anymore. And furthermore, I mean, big differences as well. Like, I lived in Massachusetts for two years. So I've lived under a Massachusetts economy, and I've lived under a Wisconsin economy. And I've lived in various different places in Wisconsin, too, knowing what the differences are. And there are vast differences between what people need as far as money goes in various different places. Like, we had the argument. A company that I worked for had... um, Their headquarters was way, way up north in the sticks in Wisconsin. And then they had a store down in Madison where I worked. But they were trying to run things in Madison by the up in the sticks mentality. And it was pointed out to me that up in the city where the company was located, I'm not going to tell you the city or the company that was up there, but uh, way up there, you could rent a whole a full house with a yard. fenced in yard and everything. Full house, not even a duplex, full house with a yard for 400 bucks a month. And it's like a 3-4 bedroom house for like 400 bucks a month. In Madison, you get a 600 square foot hole in the wall, which is not dissimilar to where I live, except I don't live in Madison and I don't pay ne- uh, near that much. But like just a little little bitty place like where I'm at right now or I pay six and a quarter for this. This same place in Madison would be almost $1,200, probably more at this point. So different places have different wage requirements. And it's the same thing if you go from state to state. $15 an hour in Wisconsin goes a lot, a lot further than $15 an hour in New York City. And in California, I mean, fucking forget it. California, you need $35 an hour On a minimum, uh, I'm sorry, not on a minimum wage job, but on an hourly job, you need like $35 an hour to be able to not sleep on the street every night. So that's what we see for that. But they're fighting for it because now they want to devalue the currency even more. All right, let's keep going. From CNN.com, Sanders says roomful of lawyers is working to make the case for $15 an hour minimum wage. From Devon Cole, Senator Bernie Sanders on Sunday said a roomful of lawyers is working to make the case that raising the minimum wage to $15 squares with the Senate rules that threaten its inclusion in Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion relief package. The comments come as Biden has cast doubt on the possibility of the wage increase being in his final bill, telling CBS in an interview that aired Friday that he doesn't think it's going to survive. Democrats are considering using a procedural shortcut known as budget reconciliation to pass the massive piece of legislation through Congress in the face of Republican opposition. I can't believe they're blowing their load on this. Well, they already did blow their load on this, but I can't believe they blew their load on this. You get one of these per term. They might get two this year just because they didn't do a budget in 2020. But I can't believe this is what they blew their load on. While the minimum wage increase was included in Biden's proposal, questions have swirled in recent days around whether it could be possible for lawmakers to use reconciliation to pass the package with it included. The procedural move is intended for bills concerning spending, taxes, and debt. Well, what they're going to do with that... And I think I know where Sanders is going to go with this before I go further in the article. What I think they're going to do with this is they're going to come back and say, Bernie's going
1: to say, well, if, if people have, are paid more, if, if they have $15 an hour and, and we don't have a separate thing for tipped employees, if, if that's what they're doing, then, I mean, they're going to be paying more taxes. And then we can, we can raise taxes. We can raise the brackets and we can get more taxes. So it, it really is reconciliation. I think that's where he's going to go with this. I can tell you, as the chairman of the Senate Budget Committee, we have a room full of lawyers working as hard as we can to make the case to the parliamentarian that, in fact, raising the minimum wage will have a significant budget implications, in fact, should be consistent with reconciliation rules. Sanders, a Vermont independent who
0: caucuses with Democrats, told CNN's Jake Tapper on State of the Union. Cedric Richmond, a senior advisor to Biden, told MSNBC on Sunday that the administration still supports a $15 an hour minimum wage and that it backs Sanders' efforts to keep that in the president's plan. Richmond said that Biden's comment on the increase not surviving was merely his prediction of what he thought the Senate would do, adding, Sanders has assembled a team to make a very compelling argument that it should stay in the bill under the Senate rules. I think that's where he's going to go with that, but I don't think it's going to fly. That's the problem. I think that that's go- that is a regulatory thing. First and foremost, that should not be able to pass the 10th Amendment. And I don't know how the fuck it can. I think we need a court ruling on that. But at which point, we need to sit back and have that conversation, whether or not that's that's even legal to begin with. But with that being pushed to the side, I, as a regulatory thing, I still think that that's... I don't think that you can put that into the budget reconciliation. Yes, it will affect taxes, and I think that's going to be the workaround they use, but no, that's that. That's not how this works. I understand that you people are used to loading pork into everything that you want to try and ram it through, but it, that's not how any of this works, you fucks. All right, from the New York Post. <clears throat> North Korea calls Biden a rabid dog who should be beaten to death with a stick. From the Associated Press. North Korea called former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden a rabid dog that must be beaten to death with a stick. In its latest swipe against foreign and political leadership, it sees as hostile to the North's leadership. How old is this article? Oh shit, this is from November 15th. Fuck that, we're not doing this one. Somebody put this into the uh, Discord as if it was new. This isn't a new article. Alright, from ABC News. Video surfaces showing Trump ally Roger Stone flanked by Oath Keepers on the morning of January 6th. From Matthew Mosk, Olivia Rubin, Ali Dukakis, and Fergal Gallagher. A new video has surfaced showing former President Donald Trump's longtime advisor Roger Stone in Washington, D.C. on the morning of January 6th, flanked by members of the Oath Keepers militia group just hours before the deadly insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building. In the video which was obtained and reviewed by ABC News, Stone takes pictures and mingles with supporters outside a DC hotel as oath keepers hover around him one wearing a baseball hat and military style vest branded with the military group's logo So hopefully we have this today right one supporter asked Stone in the video, which was posted just after 10 a.m at the morning of the rally. We shall see Stone replies. It's not known what they were uh, to what they were referring. Stone has maintained he played no role whatsoever in the January 6th events and has repeatedly said he never left the site of my hotel after leaving Dulles in the afternoon. He also decried attempts to ascribe him to the motives of the people around him. I had no advanced knowledge of the riot at the Capitol, Stone said early on Friday. I could not even tell you the names of those who volunteered to provide security for me required because of the many threats against me and my family. Well, it's these guys. In recent weeks, photos have surfaced online showing several people involved in the assault at the Capitol, posting at various events with Stone. At least two of those arrested after the melee uh, posted photos on social media late last year, showing themselves with the longtime Trump associate. Stone, long a provocative strategist in Republican circles, attained an added degree of celebrity after being convicted in connection with the investigation into Russian interference. That's a fucking weasel way to put that. He got convicted for stuff that he did long before that. They just found that while they were investigating him. And later being pardoned by President Trump. Oath keepers were known to be providing security for Stone during his D.C. visit. Reports surfaced in January that militia members were traveling with Stone. On the day before the Capitol assault, the Trump loyalist helped to set the stage for the Stop the Steal events that were intended to give a forum to the President's false claim that the 2020 election had been rigged. Well, it does appear that he did come out of his hotel at some point, which is, I mean, that's a lie in and of itself. Now, as far as the Oath Keepers go, with somebody like Stone in Washington, D.C., the police are not going to help Roger Stone. Yes, their oath is to serve and protect, but, you know, they've, they've got a vested interest and they've got their, their eyes elsewhere here. Stone did need to hire private security to do this. Now because he's Roger fucking Stone, what private security in the world would come up and say, "You know what? Yeah, I'm going to put I'm going to put guys on that." Sure, absolutely. You know what? I'll give you a discount cuz you're ro- yeah, no, that shit's not going to happen. So, he put the call out there, and of course, the oath keepers, you know, being as trumpy as a lot of them are, came up and said, "Oh, sure. Yeah, we'll do that. Hey, you'll pay us. Good." We got money. We can go buy us more guns. So as far as this goes, I mean, private security. I'm not surprised by this in the least. Now, as far as licensure goes, I'm sure there's going to be an argument to go along with that as well, but on the other end of that, if you throw a few grand under the table to a bunch of guys in tactical gear like this, then, oh we're not private security. What the hell are you talking about? No, we're just hanging out with this dude because he's a dude. And yeah, I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure that he went out and he hired private security to walk around DC and see what was going on with this. And these guys sure were happy to come back and do it. All right, let's keep going here from the blaze. This is interesting. CNN reports finds deceased Capitol Police officer didn't suffer from blunt force trauma, wasn't struck by a fire extinguisher. From Paul Saka. It was interesting. I didn't find any of this on any of the mainstream news sites. There is an important immer- uh, detail regarding the Capitol riots that is buried in the 8th paragraph of a CNN article with the headline, "Investigators Struggled to Build Murder Case in the Death of U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick. The article states that U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who died during the storming of the U.S. Capitol building, was not killed by blunt force trauma. This is a contradiction of previous reporting by various media outlets that said the Capitol Police officer was killed by being struck in the head with a fire extinguisher. From the CNN article, According to one law enforcement official, medical examiners did not find signs that the officer sustained any blunt force trauma, so investigators believe that early uh, reports that he was fatally struck by a fire extinguisher are not true. The report notes that Sicknick's cause of death is still not known, adding that the findings from the medical examiner's review have not been released and authorities have not made any announcements about that ongoing process. Investigators are reportedly looking into the possibility that Sicknick became violently ill after coming in contact with chemical irritant, such as pepper spray or bear spray. Medical examiners are also trying to determine if Sicknick possibly had a pre-existing medical condition that negatively affected him during the Capitol riots on January 6th. The report revealed that authorities are struggling to build a federal murder case at Sicknick's death because there is a lack of evidence that could provide someone caused his death. Law enforcement is said to have reviewed video and photographs that show Sicknick engaging with rioters amid the siege, but have yet to identify a moment in which he suffered his fatal injuries. This new report is a contradiction from earlier reporting by news outlets that, that, uh, that said Sicknick died because he was struck in the head with a fire extinguisher during a struggle. The New York Times, a former newspaper, reported on January 8th at some point in the chaos with a mob rampaging through the halls of Congress while lawmakers were forced to hide under under their desks, he was struck with a fire extinguisher, according to two law enforcement officials. So, that'll be an interesting one to come back and find out, and I bet you we're not going to hear a word of it once that comes back off of this. I mean, he's sat in state. Now, why the hell would they ever report on it again?
1: USA USA USA.
0: There's a guy like dying over there. They're trying to hold him up. Over
1: here. Over here.
0: So that's what we've got off of that. We will see. From the New York Post. Representative Cory Bush faces backlash after supporting inmates in St. Louis Jail Riot, from Mark Moore. A Democratic congresswoman from Missouri sparked a backlash over the weekend when she wrote in support of rioters at a St. Louis jail. Inmates at the city's Justice Center broke windows, started fires, and tossed debris onto the sidewalk for hours beginning early Saturday morning after a prisoner and guard got into a scuffle. The unrest continued until guards using tear gas took back control of the facility. A riot is the language of the unheard, Representative Cory Bush said, quoting the Reverend Martin Luther King. I want to talk to my constituents in the window. Their lives and their rights must be protected, Bush said. My team and I are working to ensure that the urgent needs of the people who are incarcerated are not ignored. One of the Twitter users, Ripping Bush, questioned her reaction giving what she said about the January 6th Capitol riots, when supporters of former President Donald Trump stormed uh, past law enforcement officials and entered the federal building, ransacking congressional offices and causing lawmakers to flee from uh, two safe locations. Exactly a month ago, you were saying riots were dangerous and a threat to democracy. Good to know that riots are okay now, posted Naomi Matthew. No, no, you've got this all wrong, Naomi Matthew. Riots are okay. When they're done by left-wing people, when they're done by right-wing people, they're evil and they're a subversion of democracy. Don't you know? Don't you understand how the rules work? Another critic, Don Taco uh, 7th, tweeted the same sentiment. Hmm, so the riot on the Capitol building is not included in your assessment? Seems like people on both sides feel they have not been properly represented. The post said, Bush had blamed Trump when she previously commented on the Capitol assault. I'm in the Capitol. I'm safe and my team and I are sheltering in place, the representative wrote at the time. The President of the United States has incited a riot and has now stormed the Capitol. It's good to know. It's good to know that they're at least somewhat consistent over the fact that right-wing evil, left-wing good. All right, from Axios, Ivanka's pardon push, part of her re, uh, reemergence plan. From Elena Trean, Ivanka Trump used her status to help obtain over 140 pardons and commutations for victims of injustice, as well as her father's cronies, and she's now plotting her political reemergence by highlighting virtues of some of the clemency grants. While Trump's eldest daughter dismisses talk that she is weighing a campaign against Senator Marco Rubio, criminal justice reform is a popular bipartisan issue to associate with as she plots her future endeavors. It would not be surprising if it's among the causes she champions in her next chapter, a source close to Ivanka told Axios. President Trump made headlines during his final days in office by issuing a raft of pardons and commutations, including a last-minute one to former husband of Fox News Channel host Janine Pirro. Right, just like every other president does. Less known is the role his eldest daughter played, especially in relation to non-political activities. Ivanka Trump and her husband, Jared Kushner, intensively lobbied for uh, her father on the issue, several sources said. She attended multiple Oval Office meetings and made calls from empty offices in the West Wing. The night before Joe Biden's inauguration, she stayed at the White House until roughly 8.30pm as she and other top Trump officials wrangled over controversial 11th hour pardons for presidential allies like Steve Bannon and Elliot Broidy. Once the finalist was released, after 1am on Inauguration Day, she spent the next two hours calling the families of those for whom she had advocated. She continued by calling on her way, to Joint Base Andrews, where her father gave his last speech as president before jetting off to Florida on his final Air Force One flight. So, Axios is going to come back out, and once again, this goes back to what I said right at the top of the show when we were talking about uh, Joe Walsh and all of his infinite Joe Walsh goodness. This goes right back up to the top, and they need to have a Trump in the headline because they need to be able to demonize the Trump. I mean, this is going to be your life politically and news wise for the rest of time. Is is Don Jr. gonna run? Is Ivanka gonna run? Is it is is Tiffany gonna do something? Is Eric gonna do something? Because they need to have that that villain out there. Because otherwise they've got a report on the actual villains that are in the White House right now. But I also come back and say that as far as Ivanka running, no. No, 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 no. No more nepotism. No more of this. No more Trumps. Now, of course, it's between the people of Florida and Ivanka Trump, whether or not she's in or not. So I don't get a say in that because I don't live in Florida. But as far as I say, as far as my opinion can go on this, no. No more Trumps. No more. No more We're not a monarchy. We're absolutely not a monarchy. As much as people want to believe that it is, as much as people want to give monarchical powers to presidential candidates and presidents, we are not a monarchy. Let's keep going. From the blaze, Donald Trump's lead impeachment attorney plans to use Democrats' own words against them at the Senate trial. From Chris Enlow. Former President Trump's lead impeachment attorney previewed his defense strategy during an interview on Friday, revealing that he plans to use Democrats' own inflammatory rhetoric against them. Speaking with Fox News host Laura Ingraham, Bruce Castor, the former acting attorney general of Pennsylvania, confirmed that he will use the dueling video to combat evidence that Trump's rhetoric about the election incited the deadly violence at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Excuse me. After predicting that Democrats plan to use the video of Trump during his Senate trial, Ingram asked... Will you then respond with Maxine Waters, a number of Democrat officials, not speaking out about the Antifa and other extremist rallies over the last summer? I think you can count on that, Castro responded. If my eyes look a little red to the viewers, it's because I've been looking at a lot of videos. Earlier in the interview, Castro explained that there's plenty of evidence showing Democrats are essentially guilty of what they claim Trump should be convicted in in the Senate over. Rand Paul argued Sunday that Republicans should apply the same impeachment standard to Democrats that they are using against Trump. In fact, Paul explained that if the standard Democrats use is applied fairly, Senator uh, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer should be impeached. We're going to criminalize speech and somehow impeach everybody who says, go fight to uh, to hear your voices heard. I mean, really, we ought to impeach Chuck Schumer then, Paul argued on Fox News Sunday. He went to the Supreme Court, stood in front of the Supreme Court, and said specifically, Hey Gorsuch, hey Kavanaugh, you've unleashed a whirlwind, and you're going to pay the price, Paul continued. This inflammatory wording, this violent rhetoric of Chuck Schumer, was so bad the Chief Justice, who rarely says anything publicly, immediately said, This kind of language is dangerous as a mob tried to invade the Supreme Court. Ah, but see, the mainstream news media doesn't want you to remember that that happened. They want you to forget about that. I remember when they cracked the doors of the Supreme Court. Try to batter their way in. So, we'll see what happens from that. that uh, the whole thing starts today, February 8th. So, I'm sure that there's going to be some stuff that pops up here. I do have room in the Red Net show to start talking about some of this. I don't know if we're going to see some of this or not, but uh, we will definitely be looking at this. If something relevant pops up, but I think it's just going to be opening arguments for the most part here. So, we'll see what happens there. Let's do another one here from NPR. Supreme Court rules against California. Doubles down on religious rights amid the pandemic. From Jason Breslow and Nina Totenberg. Well, it'll be evil. That the Supreme Court is siding with churches over California because churches are tax-exempt and we can't get their tax dollars from the churches. They are tax-exempt. We are NPR. We need your taxes. And plus, if people go to church, then they don't worship the state and they don't worship NPR either. And we absolutely can't have that. All right, let's see what they have to say here. A deeply divided Supreme Court doubled down on religious rights late on Friday, ruling that California can no longer continue with a ban on indoor church services put in place to fight the coronavirus pandemic. But the court said the state, for now, can't keep in place restrictions on signing, or singing rather, and chanting inside. The two cases at the center of Friday's ruling marked a test of how far states can go to safeguard public health before running afoul of constitutional protections for the free exercise of religion. In response to suits brought by the South Bay uh, United, uh, the South Bay United Pentecostal Church in Chula Vista and the Harvest Rock Church in Pasadena the court said california cannot bar in person services altogether but can limit the attendance to 25% of capacity last year the high court by a 5 to 4 vote upheld such bans in california and elsewhere with the arrival of new justice amy coney barrett in place of late ruth vader ginsburg the balance of power on the question switched and this latest order is fresh evidence of the court's willingness to second guess both epidemiologists and elected officials who are fighting a once in a century pandemic when it comes to questions of religious liberty oh my god the worship of the state and the demonization of anybody who tries to come out against the worship of the state is just uh, gross fucking sick fucking sick people The churches argued that California violated the religious rights when the state moved last year to place limits on attendance at in-person worship services based on COVID-19 infection rates. In the hardest-hit areas of the state, in-person services were put on hold completely. So, too, was singing and chanting inside, given that the coronavirus is not only more transmissible in enclosed places, but that singing releases tiny droplets that carry the virus through the air. You are not the science. You're not the scientists, NPR. You are the disseminators of information. You are not an editorial board either. But, you know, the role that they have to do is the role they have to pull up. And that's NPR. And good on the people of California. You can go back to church again. You can worship something other than the greedy Hollywood industry and the state. Alright, let's keep going. From KWQC. Give that a second to think. NBC 6 out of Davenport, Iowa. Governor Reynolds lifting all COVID-19 restrictions on Iowa businesses from KCRG staff. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed a new public health proclamation on Friday, rolling back all COVID restrictions on Iowa businesses. Effective at 12.01 a.m. on Sunday, the proclamation removes mask requirements, gathering limits, and restrictions on businesses. The proclamation strongly encourages Iowans, businesses, and organizations to take uh, reasonable public health measures consistent with guidance from the Iowa Department of Public Health, said Pat Garrett, a spokesperson from the governor's office. The proclamation states that I strongly encourage that all businesses or other employers remain open with in-person operations, take reasonable measures under the circumstances of each establishment to ensure the health of employees, patrons, and members of the public, including social distancing practices, increased hygiene practices, and other public health measures to reduce the risk of transmission of COVID-19 consistent with the guidance issued by the Iowa Department of Public Health, and that this section shall not be a basis for closing or taking enforcement action against a business or other employer absent an additional specific order or directive of the Iowa Department of Public Health. That is a lot of words to say, operate your business how you want. And once again, I'm going to be, I mean, this is unpopular among a lot of libertarian circles and a lot of Republican circles as well. If you are a private entity and you want to require a mask wearing inside of your building, that is actually perfectly acceptable to me. Now, will I go and do business with your business? No, I will not. I refuse to. Without a governor's mask order, though, without a legislative mask order, for that matter, if there's such a state that has one, these businesses are allowed to, once again, Decide what is best for them. And if wearing a mask is what they think is best for them and their customer base, then they're they are they're well within their rights to uh, require that. And it's the same thing with in-person dining. If a restaurant, a private industry, a private company, feels that it's unsafe to have people dine indoors, then it's on them. And there have been a lot of opportunities there as well where there were businesses that said, no, we can't do this. We cannot We can't do this with COVID-19 ravaging through. A lot of them saw their bottom lines fall out, but with the governor's orders, this is kind of also making a level playing field for everybody too, because McDonald's corporate came out and said, well, we're not going to allow any indoor dining anywhere in any of our restaurants whatsoever, none. And this is nationwide. Some places you can't even go inside to the lobby to order. I've been in places like that. I think North Carolina is like that right now. I think when Stephen, well, that was back in June too, when Stephen and I drove down from uh, D.C. to Florida, we stopped at a McDonald's in uh, North Carolina and went to go in because we're just going to, because, you know, with me eating low carb, I couldn't exactly grab something that I could eat on the road. So we're going to go in, order some burgers and sit on the tailgate and eat them. But uh, we got up to the door, and some guy was coming back to the door and says, Yeah, that door is locked, man. That they ain't going to let nobody in there. I said, okay. So we went through the drive-thru, got some burgers, ate them on the tailgate, and got our asses back on the road and back down to Florida. Your private industry can do that. Of course, the governor's orders, like I said, they level the playing field, so... Your private businesses can't do better than your local McDonald's because, you know, you can go in there and get your cup of coffee and sit down and bullshit with your friends on the, uh, at the counter stool or at the table somewhere. So we saw some of that there, but even, even with Iowa lifting the uh, restrictions, there's still going to be businesses, your local Target, your local grocery store, most likely, your local Walmart are all still going to have the same restrictions on there. And a lot of people aren't going to give them the business, but... You know, people were demonizing the governor from this, but regardless, there's still going to be people out there. People can assess their own level of risk and give their business to the businesses that they want, that most align with their views. Having the order come back out just makes it more blatantly obvious as to whose business aligns with your views the most. So, we'll see what happens from that. From the Daily Wire... Super timing. Midwest State lifts all mask requirements, gathering restrictions. We are one day before the Super Bowl, which opens up a lot of businesses for crowds, from Joseph Curl. Just in time for the Super Bowl, Iowans can go, uh, now go maskless. Republican Governor Kim Reynolds on Friday lifted COVID-19 restrictions she put in place before Thanksgiving at 12.01 a.m. on Sunday. Iowans were no longer required to wear masks while inside public buildings. In addition, there will be no limits on either indoor or outdoor gatherings. Well, it is is the middle of winter in Iowa. And it's cold as fuck in Iowa. It's probably just a little bit warmer in Iowa than it is here right now. And it is currently minus two where I'm sitting. Negative two. And yes, people are going to want to go to the Buffalo Wild Wings or the local bar to go back and watch the big game. So... For the most part, this is going to be the same information that we just read from the local affiliate out of Iowa, but uh the Daily Wire had to put the uh, had to put the big click bitty article that says, Oh, well, just one day before this this evil governor out there, they're they're coming back out and opening it back up because it's all about money. Which it is, but even still. The Daily Wire had to put out and do what the Daily Wire does. All right, I got just a few more here, then we'll do something uh that restores my faith in humanity, and head on out of here. From KHOU11, out of Houston, Texas. Wait, was that Reddit airs a five-second ad during the Super Bowl? Reddit said it spent its entire marketing budget on a five-second Super Bowl ad. In case you missed it, here's what the ad said. You might have missed it if you happened to look away from the TV for just a second, but Reddit aired a very short Super Bowl ad on Sunday night. It was so quick and unexpected that the only way you could have managed to read it all would have been from screenshots or pausing your broadcast. The commercial was just five seconds long and included an explanation for why it was so short. The ad explained that the company could af- uh, all the company could afford was five seconds of commercial airtime, so they spent the entire marketing budget on that. If you're reading this, it means our bet paid off, text shown on the screen during the commercial explained. One thing we learned from our communities last week is that underdogs can ap- accomplish just about anything when they come together around a common idea, the text added, referencing how a community of investors on the Reddit forum Wall Street Bets wound up sparking a huge rally around GameStop stock. Yep, there it is. If you're reading this, it means our bet paid off. Big game spots are expensive, so we couldn't buy a full one, but we were inspired and decided to spend our entire marketing budget on five seconds of airtime. One thing we learned from our communities last week is that underdogs can accomplish just about anything when they come together around a common idea. Who knows, maybe you'll be the reason finance textbooks have to add a chapter on tendies. Maybe you'll help our slash Bowl. Teach the world about the majesty of owls. Maybe you'll even pause this five-second ad. Powerful things happen when people rally around something they really care about. And there's a place for that. It's called Reddit. There you go, guys. Go join Reddit because they told you to. Which, I mean, Reddit did an incredible thing. Once again, I'm very surprised that this happened on Reddit. Not 4chan or something else here. But, yeah, there it is. And it was, I mean... They've got 7 seconds, which part of this is the Land Rover commercial that came before. And they go right into the next commercial. GameStop was trading at least Uh, at less than $18 a few weeks ago, but the stock soared after a group of small investors pushed each other on Reddit to keep the stock's momentum moving upward to oppose wealthy hedge funds who bet the stock would sink. Powerful things happen when people rally about something they really care about, and there's a place for that. It's called Reddit. You know, I might give them a second look at this point. I've always been a little bit opposed to Reddit just because it is very very left wing and it's very very echo chambery. But once again, and I have a Reddit account. But pretty much all I've done on there is look at some Fallout stuff, some just read through some Fallout lore on there and some Metroid lore. That's all I've ever done on Reddit. But with something like this, I'm actually willing to give it a second look. I'm not saying I trust it. I'm not saying that I don't think that it is a uh, Left-wing echo chamber, it definitely is, but I'm at least willing to give it a second look. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. We'll see what they do. Whether they put the heavy hand down and say that you're not allowed to talk about this, which I suspect right. is going to be more Welcome in, everybody. I'm- I don't know what the hell just happened there, but something started playing. Yeah, whether or not this... Uh, they actually put the fist down and force their views on people, or whether they actually do open themselves up to be a more open forum and little people coming together to take down the big establishment. We don't know what's going to happen with Reddit. I think they've had a little bit of their mind changed as to what the underdog is off of this. So, find all the facts and draw your own conclusions. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying it's worth a second look at this point. From the New York Post... Representative Omar's campaign reportedly funded 80% of her husband's consulting firm from Jorge Fitzgibbon. Representative Ilhan Omar's election campaign helped keep her husband's political consulting firm afloat last year, providing nearly 80% of the company's income, according to a report. The Minnesota Socialist Campaign Committee, gave the E Street Group, which is co-owned by her husband Tim Minette, more than $2.9 million over the course of the 2020 election cycle, the Washington Free Beacon said, citing federal campaign finance data. Minette and his partner, entrepreneur Will Haler, received 146 checks from Omar's camp over the course of the cycle, the Beacon said. The final payment was in early November. An additional $194,000 in payments to the E Street Group came from Representative Pramala Jayapal, an Omar mentor, the paper noted. The payments were for advertising, campaign mailings, consulting, and travel, according to the campaign records. Minette's firm also received more than six hundred dollars in uh, six hundred thousand dollars, rather in bailout money last year from government payouts to help small businesses cope with the economic impact of the global coronavirus pandemic. The paper said. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, one of those reasons where I didn't think the Paycheck Protection Program was a good idea because. Million dollar companies like the E Street Group got in on that too, which they shouldn't have. They really shouldn't have. There's no reason for that. 80% of your income is coming from your wife. There was no reason for you to be getting that loan, which could have gone to a local Perkins franchise, a local burger joint, a local coffee shop, something small that wasn't going to weather this. And we do see a lot of these businesses are not weathering this right now because... A, their employees uh, employees don't want to come back because they're making more on unemployment than they were going to their jobs every day. But on the other end of that, yeah, I, I don't understand the government. I don't understand how they let things happen like this and how they allowed all this money to go out and then one, sat back and wondered why they ran out of money and why they need to beg for more. All right. From Fox News, give that a second to think. Shattered glass installation in D.C. dedicated to Kamala Harris. From Marissa Schultz, a Swiss artist memorialized Vice President Kamala Harris's history-making win. She didn't win. Joe Biden won. It wasn't Kamala Harris's win. In a shattered glass installation that's on display in Washington, D.C., outside the Lincoln Memorial, Simon Berger carefully cracked glass to create a 6-by-6-foot, 350-pound, unconventional portrait of the first woman, the first person of color elected to the nation's second-highest office. Berger began his work after the results of the November election and modeled his uh, artwork after a picture of Harris's captured by photographer Celeste Sloman. The glass portrait was shipped from Switzerland. There it is. For those of you listening back on the audio platform or those of you over on Instagram and can't see any of this, there it is, right there. The video feed will show you more, but yeah. I mean, this, it's a cult, you people. It, this is a religion. And once again, where's, where's the shattered glass for Joe Biden and his historic win, you know? No, this was never about Joe Biden. And they had a hard-on for Kamala Harris. At the beginning of this. They did. So no, this wasn't his win. It was her win. He was just the vessel. Because nobody liked this woman. At all. And now there it is. The project was commissioned by the National Women's History Museum. And CHIEF, a networking organization for female executives. The artwork was unveiled Thursday at the Lincoln Memorial. I think what makes it so moving to me is to see the tiny cracks and to see those fissures and everything they represent, Lindsay Kaplan, co-founder of the Chief, told the Associated Press. If you worked your ass off to be a CEO as a woman, why, oh why, are you worshipping at the feet of somebody who slept her way to the top? I don't understand. The only reason this woman got anywhere in her career was because she boned Willie Brown. But yet, we're going to come back out to this religious uh, worship, this religious fervor. Because she couldn't get any traction in the primaries, but all, all of a sudden now she's the vice president. And that's what we see from that. All right, I got just a couple more here. All right, Representative Andy Biggs tweets out where are congressional Democrats and members of the mainstream media to condemn this from last night, retweeting a tweet from Andy Ngo that says Washington D.C. police push back Antifa as they gather around diners during their street march. Let's see what's happening here.
1: Move back move back move back move move back 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 i name? you
0: And I have autoplay happening. Anyway, going back to that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's almost like Antifa doesn't like Joe Biden either. I thought this was all supposed to stop after Joe Biden was elected because, hey, come on, man, I mean this is Trump's America. This this isn't Joe Biden's America. But there they go. They keep going. And where's the mainstream coverage of this either? That's what I want to know with that. I mean, this was complete. I had to go to Andy Ngo's Twitter to go and find something like this. All right, two more, then we're out of here, which is good because I'm hungry. From NPR, oh, this is public radio too. Do I have to read this like this here? From NPR News, Minnesota Public Radio. Out of Minneapolis, where it is minus 10 up in Minneapolis right now. Governor Walls deploys Minnesota National Guard for Chauvin trial security. From Brandt Williams and the Associated Press, remember. Also, send money to NPR, not just NPR, NPR, because they need it too. Because they need to pull their out-of-state donations, because the state can't pay them enough either. So make sure that you give your money to them, because they will give you a totally, completely unbiased opinion about everything. They're completely unbiased. Just ask them. All right, let's see what they have to say. Governor Tim Walz issued an order Friday authorizing the National Guard to respond in the event that the high-profile court trials in Minneapolis spark civil unrest. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is charged in the death of George Floyd. He is scheduled to go on trial on March 8th. The governor's order states that the mayors of Minneapolis and St. Paul have requested the state help as the trials of Chauvin and three other former officers charged in Floyd's death. Thomas Lane, J. Alexander Kewing, and Tau Thau approach. We've submitted a request for support from Minnesota National Guard last year, says Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry, and have been participating in regular planning meetings with law enforcement agencies to help ensure strong and persistent lines of communication are open with all relevant partners. The Guard troops will supplement local law enforcement agencies in keeping the peace and ensuring public safety while allowing for peaceful demonstrations. The order leaves it to the state's Adjutant General, Major General Sean Mankey, to determine the size, timing, and other details of the deployment. The money will come from the state's general fund. Interesting, though, that they are doing this in advance right now, and it took them a little while to get the Minnesota National Guard out during the St. George riots initially. I'm also very interested here because uh, I think they might know that this is going absolutely nowhere. I think they might actually have figured that out. That Chauvin is going to walk. Not because necessarily I think he should have walked. I think that there should be some sort of slap on him. Just based on the fact that I think he was massively overcharged. I could see Mantu. If, I mean, if they threw Mantu at him, I could see that. But, you know, he's going up for murder too. I don't think they can make that stick. I don't think they can make intense stick is the problem. So we'll see what happens with that. And I'm sure we'll be watching that all next month here because the reality show never ends and now they're scheduling the major story arcs to come off of this. Also, keep in mind that Antifa usually comes out in an election year. I'm a little surprised they're out in D.C. too. So we'll see where this goes. All right, last one, then we'll do something that uh, restores my faith in humanity and head on out of here. This came to me from the Discord, from Chilaga 1984. So we're going to talk about this here. Pennsylvania man kills neighbors, then himself, after snow removal dispute escalates. An argument turned deadly in Pennsylvania after neighbors had an altercation about where to dispose of snow after shoveling, which leads to one neighbor killing the couple next door before taking his own life. Well, I guess that escalated quickly. In the Northeast, now is the time of year where you see snow falling from the sky, and it seems like it will never stop. Nothing starts the day off, worse uh, worse than having to shovel and remove tons of snow just to leave your driveway and to even start your day. You can just imagine the types of attitudes people have after at least an hour in the freezing cold, digging out their cars, and in some cases, multiple vehicles. According to NBC News, snow shoveling ended in a murder-suicide in Pennsylvania, after neighbors had a heated exchange over exactly where to dump the snow after shoveling. The video shows the guys shoveled snow from their parking spots, pushed it across the street, and threw it onto Spade's property. After Spade asked the couple to stop throwing snow on this property, the neighbors got into an argument, where they appeared to have exchanged obscene gestures and expletives. Yeah, that sounds about right. Prosecutors say James Goy threatened Spade and cocked his fist, prompting Spade to retreat into his home and return outside with a pistol. While the Goys acknowledged he had a gun, prosecutors say they continued to shout names at him from the middle of the street. Spade opened fire and shot the Goyes before returning to his home to get another gun to deal the killing blow, according to prosecutors. Warning, video is graphic. Watch at your own risk. And it looks like they took the video down. So I've not seen the video. But it looks like they took it down because it was so graphic. And yeah, I mean, I understand the argument with your neighbors here, but I've never been in a situation where I felt I needed to kill my neighbors over something. Or really kill anybody. Should the dude have grabbed a gun? No, he probably shouldn't have. And going back in to get the gun to deal the killing blow, after he already shot the dude... Yeah, there was something else going on. with. There was something else wrong here. This wasn't just a dude who got pissed in an argument with, each, uh, with his neighbor. There's something else going on upstairs with this dude. But we'll never know. We'll never be able to ask them about it. All we can do is go on the video that we've seen, which I've not seen the video because, uh, yeah, it looks like it got removed from this for probably good reason. That was probably pretty graphic. So... F's in the chat for the spades and the joys, or the goys, rather. Sorry that everybody lost off of this. Well, it is what it is. We can't go back and change it at this point. All right, and that's going to be it. The last thing we do on a Monday is something that restores my faith in humanity, which is not the headline of this. This is archived, of course, from Insider. So the headline here is not what restores my faith in humanity, it's the reaction of the fans that restores my faith in humanity. So, we'll read here from Insider. Morgan Wallen's country music fans rushed to buy his music after he was caught using the N-word, leading to a 339% bump in sales. From Jacob Sarkeesian. I wonder if he's related to Anita Sarkeesian. Country music singer Morgan Wallen's music sales have skyrocketed after the country singer was filmed using the N-word. Billboard reported that while Wallen's radio airplay has slumped, his sales have gone, done the opposite. In fact, they've increased by a huge 339%. On Tuesday, it was reported that Wallen was filmed shouting a racial slur on the streets of Nashville, Tennessee. According to TMZ, Wallen was on his way home with friends when a neighbor heard the shouts and filmed the incident. In the video, Wallen can be heard calling a friend a motherfucker before calling another man the N-word. Wallen released in a statement to TMZ apologizing for the incident. I'm embarrassed and sorry. I used an unacceptable and inappropriate racial slur that I wish I could take back. There are no excuses to this type of language ever. Wallen, a rising star of country music, has had all of his songs removed from the stations of Cumulus Media, the second largest radio chain in the U.S., the largest chain in the country, iHeartMedia, plus Entercom and other radio stations, later joined in with this decision to ban his songs. His record label, Big Loud Records, was suspended, Wallen's contract indefinitely. But the Fuhrer has turbocharged his record sales. His catalog of albums and songs sold a total of 5,000 on February 2nd. The TMZ posted the revealing video that number increased to 22,500 on February 3rd. So what restores my faith in humanity is the fact that people will rally around the things that they like. Now, you were supposed to. If you go by what the mainstream media tells you to do, you are supposed to hate Morgan Wallen because he said the unacceptable word and he's never, ever, ever supposed to have forgiveness. He's supposed to be pulled off the radio. His career is supposed to be in tatters. All of his money is supposed to be taken from him and redistributed to all of the other people in the world because he said the naughty word one time. And that's not what they're giving him. They're actually giving him a chance. His fans are coming back. Since they can't hear his songs on the radio anymore, now they're going back to go and buy them off these popular platforms. As long as the platforms will have him on. But they're making money hand over fifths off this as well. 511% is not an, insig- uh, an insignificant number when it comes to a rising star country uh, mainstream country music artist. If he's getting sales up sixfold. Then your iTunes or your Google Play Music or your Amazon Music. They are also making money hand over fist for this. So, Cumulus may have screwed the pooch on this. And a left hole in the bag. But, uh, yeah, good on the fans for coming out and supporting what they like, in spite of the fact that the rest of the mainstream media is trying to shut him down. So, that's it. That's what we have here. All right. And with that, we're going to head on out of here for the day here. I'm going to go finish up doing my video editing for the Red Ned show because we've got some good stuff here. Even a clip coming in from the generational gap. Pretty excited to talk about that. So, and what are we doing tonight? What are we doing tonight? We're talking about uh, HR 127, which we talked about last Tuesday. Uh, We're talking a little bit more about the Time article, uh, some impeachment stuff, some AOC stuff.